Glad you guys are here. We are finishing up our series on God's love today, which we could keep going on. And I'm hoping this won't be too much of a stretch, but it may be for us today as we kind of wrap up and we're going to talk about two big words today in regards to God's love, because there's really no way to, I mean, books and books and books have been written about this. And so we started with this, that love is ultimately from God, that wherever love is manifested, it points back to the owner and source, God himself. And love is expressed in many different ways. And love many times is a noun in the, in the Bible, but most of the time it's a verb. It's about action. We use the kaleidoscope to kind of look at God and how many facets, how many colors. If you shake it up and look at it again, it's totally different. That's why you can read the Word of God. Uh, this last week, several passages jumped off the page. I know I've been through it because I underlined different places, but all of a sudden a certain word jumped off that I know I've read. I may have retinized it, you know, my retinas passed over it, but all of a sudden one word jumps off of going, wow, I, I didn't see this. And I mean, in, in Psalms when it says, the Lord takes into his confidence those who fear him. And then I jump over to Luke 8, and it says, so listen carefully of what God wants to reveal to us. Because, again, we can't put God in a box. Today, people want to do the smorgasbord approach to God. They want to pick this and pick this. I just want God's love and, and this, but I don't want the judgment. I don't want justice. I don't want any of these other things. And so they make their own designer God, but God is not that way. You either accept him as is or not at all, because that would be called an idol when you just take the pieces that you want. That's what mankind has been doing since time. In week, three, in week two, we talked about God will forever keep his promises. His promises are true. And last week, that kind of threw some, um, that God can both love and hate perfectly because he is God. And just the thought of God hating, well, you are able to hate. You just can't do it perfectly like he abides and blesses. While the world rejects, while the world will try to put him away, God still provides and blesses. And the two words, I mean, they're so long. I usually don't use words like this, so you can tell that this is taken out of theology stuff. But the word benevolence and beneficence, I had to use spell check just to do it, all right? Um, and both these words are important because both of these tie in with the love of God, that he is both benevolent and he is beneficent. So let's talk about benevolence first. Now, when you look through the Bible, you're going to see God's will spelled out in several different ways. You have God's sovereign decreed will, which means he says it, it gets done. Let there be light, there's light. So throughout the scripture, you always see God's will. He's going to do something. He calls it in order. Boom. He's there. So there is God's sovereign will. And then there is his, his permissive will, which basically it's, it's his desired will. That he says, do these commandments, but he gives us the permission to say, no, we have choice in that matter. So there are things that he has set in motion. I want you to do it this way. But we choose whether we're going to do it or not. So he has a will that he would like us to do, but we can say no to that. 
Uh, when I look at God's will, I kind of look at it as this tabletop here. There are some things that are set in motion, his sovereign will, that is not going to change no matter what I do. But I can, if this is me on this tabletop and this is his will, I can move this around and still be within God's sovereign will. There are choices that you are given. Uh, I had the choice to whether I wanted to come to Galt or not 25 years ago. I didn't know where Galt was, all right? I went to Tokyo High School and didn't know Galt existed. I lived in North Stockton. So when I was asked, hey, there's this little church that's just starting, do you want to go speak there? I said, where, where is that? I, I don't know. Because I never went past Lodi. We didn't play anybody on this side of the river. And so I didn't know. So that was my choice. It was your choice too. I think I was it and there was nobody else. Let's just go with Tim and see what happens. Um, but see, that's the thing. That was, I didn't have to say yes because I never, there was no writing on the wall from God to come here. So there is permissive will within that. Then there's what's called the disposition, dispositional will, which is basically his divine attitude toward creation. That which he has created. I have an attitude toward the things I've created. If I take you into my house and take you into my kitchen, you've been there. I built my kitchen. I built all the cabinets, all out of hickory. And I'll show you all this and this is what I did here and this is what I did here. If you've ever created anything, you will do that. You have a disposition toward that which you have created. And God has this divine attitude toward that which he has created. And that's where that benevolence comes from. The word benevolence broken down literally means good will. Bene, bene. Good and will, the rest of that is his will. He has a good disposition towards that which he has created, which is us. Now that's why you've heard, maybe you've heard the term like the benevolent dictator, which almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? A benevolent dictator. I love this quote from Richard Branson. I believe in benevolent dictatorship provided that I'm the dictator. And there have been benevolent dictators in the world. Uh, one recently is out of Bhutan, and his name, I, I don't even know. It looks like this is how you're supposed to say it, Wang Chuck. I think that's a song, but it, it's Wang Chuck of Bhutan, which he is a monarch. He is the king, but he chose to give democratic rule to his nation. He doesn't have the gross national product. He set up a gross, na a gross national ham happiness index. If his people are happy, that's how he sees success in his nation. Sounds like we need a benevolent dictator like that, so I won't go there. Benevolence is God's goodwill to us. The incarnation of Jesus coming here in the flesh was his benevolence. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only and one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's his benevolence, his attitude towards us, that he loves us, he has goodwill towards us. 2 Peter 3, 9, we just went through that when we went through our study in 2 Peter. The Lord says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He's benevolent to you. He wants everyone to come to salvation. And so this is his benevolence, his long suffering. He takes no pleasure, it says in the scripture, when the wicked die. 
Now you would think, well, if they're wicked, I know I see some wicked people die. I don't have much compassion for that. I'm not weeping at all when I see that. But God takes no pleasure when the wicked die. Ezekiel 33, 10 through 11. Son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you were, you were saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wa wasting away because of them. Then how can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His benevolence, he does not want the wicked to perish. He wants them to turn. And that's what we see in the verses before this section in verses 7 and 9. God is speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to dissuade him from his ways. That wicked man will die for his sin, but I'll hold you accountable, which is a whole sermon unto itself, guys. That we're, we're, He's saying, I'm giving you the ability to give them warning. If you choose not to, then I'm going to hold you accountable to that. But verse 9 says, but if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. If the wicked continue down the path that they're going and do not turn, I want them to turn. I want you to warn them. I don't take any pleasure in the wicked dying, but I have no problem judging it as well. And that's where when you consider a judge, when you consider a good judge, that you see a judge that doesn't want to pass down a death sentence, but he has to do justice, no matter what the circumstances, he still needs to pass it because he is a good judge, because he can still have love, but also have justice at the same time. God takes no pleasure in sending the wicked away. He has, takes no pleasure in sending people to hell, but here's the deal. He has to punish it because he has willed that to take place. He has benevolence. And the problem with benevolence is that you can take the benevolent love of God that he has just has goodwill toward all people and you can push that to the extreme and say universalism, which means everyone gets to heaven. Everyone makes it. There are many churches that preach that today. Everyone's gonna get there because the Bible does say, Tim, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, there'll be those saying, yes, Jesus is Lord bound, and those are going to say, holy crap, Jesus is Lord. All right? There is not universalism. There is not everyone makes it. And I really don't believe people really believe that because there are some people that are not... I've got a list in my mind who don't deserve to go to heaven. I mean, and even those people that push that, I will say, so Hitler should get to heaven? Stalin should get to heaven? Mao should get to heaven. Seriously? And they go, well, well, and then they stumble because, guys, everyone doesn't make it, even though God wants that to take place. His benevolent love. Again, this statement, which I read uh, uh, this week, in God's benevolence, he will never negotiate his righteousness or holiness. Even though God is benevolent, He's not going to negotiate 
is righteousness and holiness. You as parents who are still in the mode that we need to discipline our children, that seems like that's been a lost art anymore. No, I can't discipline them. You know, I don't want to scar them for life and give Kevin plenty of business. No. All right. <laughs> the discipline, you discipline, but how many of you heard your parents say, your mom or dad say, this is going to hurt me more than? I can still see my dad saying that with the belt in his hands and my bare butt in the air. I, what? No, no. But the first time I had to discipline my kid, and I know I've told this story before. I actually asked Micah if he has the footage of it to find it's in a box somewhere. But I came driving home from work, and Micah meets me as I'm driving into my driveway. My youngest son, Micah, comes up, Dad, Dad, I just set up the camera, the video camera, and I filmed myself rollerblading off the roof. Okay, I got a problem. I'm really proud that he set up the camera, got the angle, was able to shoot himself rollerblading off the roof. You rollerbladed off the roof? So now I'm in this dilemma. I'm proud and have to discipline all at the same time. Does God feel that same way? Does God have any emotions when he has to discipline those whom he created and loves? Again, a couple of theological words is this, impassibility, impassibility. Impassibility that theology is that God is so far removed, he cannot experience feelings. Um, and the danger of that, when we talk about impassibility, is that that kind of leads into deism, that God is cold and distant and really doesn't care about his creation. Kind of like uh, Farside, one of the Farsides ha has a picture of this jar marked humans and two people running out of the jar that he dropped on earth. And all you hear, see is, holy crap, that he, that he just started this and he's not really interested in keeping it going. He's just... Far removed, no emotions toward us. He, he's just anxious to see how this is all going to play out. The passibility of God means that he does have emotions to that. The danger of that, of pushing it too far, is that he is so emotional. He's, just, he's up there, just come on, guys, you can do it. I know you can. And then he's so connected and to the point where he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's just as surprised as you are. All right, guys, God is not up in heaven going, oh, no, what are they going to do now? But they both exist because the impassibility of God is that God is not affected from the standpoint where he's going to have knee-jerk reactions, where he gets so emotional, and so he is removed to a degree from that, but he is passable because he can empathize, empathize with all our hurts and sorrows. So there's a both and. We see that in Jesus where he could, and there's several scriptures, you look it up in your notes, as far as scriptures that talk about where Jesus wept, where he showed us the emotion of God. But when you push it to the extremes, you can go too far. It's not that God doesn't feel, because he has to feel in order to have affection, because to have affection to that which you created, to have love to that which you created, there needs to be emotion. And the Bible is filled with references why that through that, that whole thing. Benevolence is God's attitude toward that which he's created. 
his beneficence is the action toward that which he created. So benevolence is my attitude that I am connected to you, but when I show beneficence, it means that I'm actually doing something. I'm acting in charity. I'm acting in mercy. I'm acting in kindness. Uh, when a need comes to us as a church, we can look at that benevolent, benevolently and say, hey, you know, maybe we should do something. We talk about it but we show our beneficence when we actually do something about it. When we send a check, when we meet a need that is present there. And so we'll see this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and this is Jesus speaking here. This is what we would term as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says to those who are listening, you have heard that it was said... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You've heard it said. Now, he's, it has been said in the scriptures to, to love your neighbor. It says that in Deuteronomy, it says it in several places, to love your neighbor. But you've heard it said because the oral traditions of the Jewish teachers of that, they added, but hate your enemies. Which, that makes sense, all right? To love those who are nice to you, love your neighbor, but those who are evil, hate them. That's an easy jump to make. That, and that's not a hard thing. That seems pretty natural to make. But then Jesus says, but this is what you are to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what, what, look what it says in verse 45. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. You need to love your enemies and not hate, love your enemies, not hate them, because that's what your Father in heaven does. He shows mercy. He shows love. He shows compassion. He gives things. Even though they're ungrateful, even though they curse, God still provides and blesses them. And he's saying, I want you to do the same thing. I mean, again, it's not a hard jump for us to not love someone that despises us. That's not hard. But if we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do, and at the end of that passage, Matthew 5, 48, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So who in this room was, are perfect today? Raise your hands so we can put you in a special section. Um, so we can study you, put you in our glass and just watch you because... This side of heaven, none of us are perfect. And none of us are going to be this side of perfect. But if you want to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect, then you love your enemies. Because that's what God does. That's how he shows his beneficence to the world. Matter of fact, it says there at the end of verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's beneficence. Whether you're good, whether you're bad, it's still going to rain. You know, you would think if God just loves those who love him back, if you needed rain, just a rain cloud would kind of hover over your property and water your lawn and give you the water you need, but that's not how God operates. He'll send rain. He'll send sunshine. He'll bloom the crops out and things will grow. And he does that to the good and to the evil because he's showing his, not only his 
benevolence, but his beneficence as well. This is, sometimes you'll, you read in, in books, you'll see where the term common grace and special grace. Common grace is basically grace being things that we don't deserve. You would think that the wicked don't deserve any rain. Matter of fact, God just draw back from them. But he, does, he gives common grace because he knows if you're here, your wicked person's here, and you're here next to him, you need rain just as much as he does, so he's going to share the rain everywhere. He's going to give the sunshine when it's needed. I mean, that's his beneficence to all. That's his common grace. Even though we don't deserve it, God gives it anyways. Special grace is where you talk about salvation. He gives special grace to those who love, who repent, who, who turn towards him. Then that's where a special grace comes into play. And the thing is, what's interesting and, and really the irony of the situation is this, that God gives common grace to all. So he blesses the good and he blesses the bad. But the irony is the blessings that the bad receive become more judgment later upon them because he's shown them goodness. Now, follow me here. Because if you're good, Kevin read a passage today tying with that, and we didn't even coordinate that. See, if you're good, then you will appreciate, you will be grateful for that which God has given you. I mean, if it's just, I mean, we are grateful that it's sunny today and it says no rain is coming for <coughs> the harvest carnival. We're grateful. I mean, how many pray? Thank you. We've been praying. We've been praying because the ponies wouldn't work well in here. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they would love it, but they're not us the next Sunday. All right. So we're grateful. But those who are not good, even though they get the sunshine, they show no gratitude to God. And what that does, here, here, this is the irony, is that it piles up wrath upon them because they're not thanking God for that which he gave them in the first place. Okay, follow me here. Romans 1, 21 says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or what? Gave thanks to him. So even though they knew God, they just chose to reject that and they never give thanks to him for the common grace things that he has given. That's why you go to Romans 2 verse 5 says, but because of their, your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. You're storing this up because here's God giving you something and you don't say thank you. You're not grateful for that. Now us, if we give a gift and there's no thank you, how do you feel? And then you see them over and over again, nothing, 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 nothing. Are you wanting to give them anything the next time around? I mean, if we're honest, no. <laughs> okay. But if I have to be like God, I should give them the same thing. All right. But God is saying their ungratefulness has led to this attitude as one person. The more blessing we receive from his hand and we are ungrateful for it begins to pile up, heaping up wrath in the day of judgment. That ingratitude toward God is not so much the cause of evil, but the result of evil. 
that in our heart we have just rejected God, and so I am not giving him thanks for anything. And all that does is store up more wrath against us. That's why the last days, it says 2 Timothy, Paul talks about the last days, that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and what? Ungrateful. I was asked last Sunday, so Tim, I'm trying to get a hold of this love of God and everything else. So the benevolence is God's attitude towards us and the beneficence is what God gives us. Then how does it work for the person who's never heard about Jesus? What about the pygmy in South Africa or something who has never heard about Jesus? That was one of the first questions I ever asked when I begin to understand what Christ was about and his salvation and everything. Okay, what about the dude that's never heard? So let me just kind of walk you through this because this, this will tie in not only from last Sunday, but this Sunday too of both his beneficence and, and his benevolence. First thing is this. Guys, God is just. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. No matter what happens, I know God is just. And we all have a sense of justice. I mean, when, you, when I saw the news of, you know, the gal that, you know, was murdered in Utah and her boyfriend took off and everything and then they found his body, I'm going to tell you inside it, I, I was mad because justice is not going to be served on him. I mean, there's a part of me, sorry, I'm letting you in on a little bit of Tim here. I'm going because if I, if I was her parents, I'd be ticked off. Because I'd want my piece of flesh. Right? That's the sinful side of Tim. No, I just like this because justice wasn't served. Well, he's dead, so justice, no! We didn't get to kill him. I mean, that's my thought. Right? I mean, I, I, okay, I just want to, this, this is, because inside, we want justice. When we see injustice, we want justice. Understand, we have that inside of us because that's what God's throne is based on. He is just. But here's also the truth. Back to Romans 120. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature has been what? Clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Women, that's just not men. You're included in that men part here. All right? God has said, guys, I've put myself everywhere. You're not going to be able to come before me someday and say, I just didn't see you. Really? You ever been to Yosemite? All right? Really? You ever see a hummingbird? Really? A bumblebee that shouldn't be flying? I mean, come on. You don't see my creativity in all this? Did you see the birth of your child? Are you telling me that you just said, nope, it's all two atoms coming together, and that's why we're here? No, he has made it evident, clearly seen throughout. And Ecclesiastes goes as far as to say, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He's made it clear in nature. He's made it clear on our hearts that something bigger than, than, than us made all this. And here is, the problem is, is that people, sinful people, us, the world, reject that which God has put in place. Back to Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, we read this part already, they neither glorified God 
nor gave thanks to him, for their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, reptiles, whatever. I'll take a little of this, and I don't want this, and I think you have wings, and, and we're just going to worship all these different things. That's what has happened when they've rejected what God has made evident to them that he exists. They go and make their own gods. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin, sin falls short of the glory of God. And it's not that some people haven't heard about Jesus. Now, it's true. There are people in the world that have never heard. Then they say, missionary stats say that a, a billion people have never heard the name Jesus. So that's not just of God to judge that person who's never heard the name of Jesus based upon that. And you're right. God is just. He's not going to judge them. Hey, you never accepted Jesus. Who is he? Ah, down to hell you go. I mean, that's not justice. But if he has at least leaned into what, that God exists, listen to this, Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. So, Imagine this person in another country who's never heard the name of Jesus and he's been worshiping this rock. And all of a sudden, this rock has gotten me nowhere, all right? Doesn't do anything, doesn't answer anything. And that person turns and says, I don't know who you are, but I know you're not that. God's going to hold him to the knowledge that he has been given. Now, the truth also is, Romans 3.11 says, there's no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. Is there somebody that could? I'll give you something because it says Deuteronomy. It says, all right, if you seek me, you will find me. I know that God promises that. Every single one of you, if I were to sit down and tell me your story, how you came to God, I guarantee you that there'd be so many different stories here that they're not all the same. Different ages, different times, different circumstances, different reasons, but... This is back to what we talked about last week, that no one seeks after God unless, remember, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. There's an action by God to do that. Now, he's already done it. He's, he's given us nature. He's given us all this around us. He's given us blessings from the rain and the sun and everything that which should lead us to thank him. But in my sinfulness of my heart, I say, no. And a just God has to judge that. People are responsible for that which they already know. And that's where his benevolence and beneficence comes in. So let me try to wrap it up in, in this here. So let's say you leave here, all right? You, you decide you're going to go home because you need to get to the game. You need to watch the game on TV. And so you jump in your car and you just say, I got, I'm in a hurry. And you're flying down Highway 99. And before you know it, you're looking down and doing 100, 100, 105 miles an hour. Have you ever done that? I have done that. All right. I've had cars that could do that. All of a sudden, wow. 
you're amazed. It doesn't feel like I'm going that fast. But someone else saw you going that fast. That was that CHP with the radar on the on-ramp. Sees you fly by. He comes flying, and you do what everybody else does. You see the red lights, and you slow down. You go in a different lane, and maybe he'll pass you by. All right, how many have been there and done that, all right? He won't notice me. It was another white truck, all right? But he doesn't pass you by. He pulls you over. And those of us who have been, had the joy of dealing with the CHP and the tickets and things, he pulls you over and he comes up and said, son, do you know how fast you were going? I don't know. I, you know, I, you know, I just don't know. Now, honestly, you know exactly how fast you were going. There's no mistake. You were doing 105 miles an hour. Really, I didn't know this car could go that fast. I, I, seriously, I, uh, I'm sorry, officer. Uh, license and registration, by the way, we're going to impound this car. And I have to take you before the judge because it was such an excessive speed. So the tow truck shows off. There goes your nice car. You're missing the game completely. And you're in the back of the squad car to go appear before the judge. But here's the good news. You know the judge. Matter of fact, the judge is your daddy. And you said that to this guy, you know, I, you know, I think this is going to work out okay. My dad is the judge. But as you start thinking about that, of your dad's love for you, and you know that your father loves you, and you're going to have to stand before him, but then you realize your dad is also a good judge. He's a just judge. A matter of fact, he, he doesn't like necessarily passing out punishment, but he has no problem with it if justice demands it. And so now you're worried. You're walking in the courtroom, all right, God's love. I mean, I know dad loves me, but man, he's a good judge. What's going to happen? And as you stand there, here comes your dad sitting in and looking down. Son, this officer says you were doing well over 50 miles over the speed limit. How do you plead? And you've got a dilemma there. You can say, well, I, I'm going to check his radar gun. And, you know, I'm pleading not guilty. How many have done that? Anyways, you say, rightfully so, because you are guilty. I'm guilty, Dad. I, I was going that fast. Judge looks at his paperwork, looks at his son. He says, $500 or a week in jail. Bam. Slams down the gavel. And you look around and look up at Dad. Dad, I don't have $500. Bailiff, come and take my son away. The bailiff comes, and he begins to put the handcuffs on you, but all of a sudden, the judge says, wait a minute, bailiff. And he stands up, and he goes over, and he takes off his robe, hangs it on the hook, pulls out his, ja his jacket, and reaches in and pulls out his checkbook. And he walks over to the bailiff, and he begins to write a check for $500. tears it off and he looks at his son and he says, son, I know you don't have $500. So I'm going to pay the fine for you. And you have a choice. You can either accept it or what? Reject it. See, judgment, justice was served and you were guilty you just don't have the means to pay for it. 
You don't have the ability to get out of jail unless you accept the gift from the judge himself that will free you. But it's your choice. Do I accept it or do I reject it? Beneficence and benevolence. Benevolence is the judge seeing his son there has compassion for his son. But he also has to do justice. His beneficence comes down and writes a check for the entire amount because he knows his son can't pay it. Doesn't have the means. That's where God, that's how he looks at us, that's how he treats us. He, that unless part, he engages us to the point where he draws us. But we choose at that stage when we feel God drawing us to, to believe in who he was, is whether we accept the gift or reject it. Scripture says that mankind has been rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. And if you reject the check, guess what happens to the son? He goes to jail. Justice was served. But if he accepts the gift and then pays it, justice was, was still served, but it was at the cost to the judge. I can't... I bring nothing to the game. I have nothing to do to take away the sin that I have committed. Now, some of you committed less. Some of you committed more. We all have sin. We were born into that. Talked about that weeks ago. That, you know, some of us are baby sinners. Some of us are real old sinners. Some of us are better at it than others. But sin is sin, and sin has to be dealt with. And I can't deal with it. I try, okay, I'm going to be really good at this, then this part fell. All right, now I'm going to focus on this, then this part fell. I can't solve that. And the, hand, the, the hammer has to come down, the gavel, to say justice has to be served. But God writes a check, and that check was Jesus Christ himself. That was the payment. He took on the penalty that I could not pay. And it's offered to us is that I choose whether I'm going to accept it or reject it. If you reject it, then God has no choice but to be just. He has to. That's what his throne is based upon. And so those who stand before him will try to, no, I didn't know, I didn't know. The books will be open. Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. And justice has to be served. But if we've been given a choice and we choose to reject that, then that's going to be held to our account. My job is to give warning. My job is to yell as loud as I can and let people know, guys, you don't have to do this. It's, only, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I enter that, he writes the check. He pays the price. All I'm doing is accepting the gift that I don't deserve. But because he loves me, he pays the price for me.
And while the world is ungrateful, while the world curses him, while the world ignores all the goodness that he gives, he still provides and blesses. That's God's love. That while we were still sinners, he loved us. And so I, I want to give you opportunity. I, I want you, if you're believers in Christ, to realize, man, that's, that, that whole scene of the judge, that happened with you. You accepted it. Praise God. Hallelujah. The great I am. I mean, all, the, all those, the truths that come. And now you need to live that. Now you need to tell other people. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to do to warn you. You don't have to go through that. He's paid the price. But if you're not there yet, and you're still standing there, and you know you're guilty, that, guys, the only way to not go to jail is through accepting the gift that he freely gives. Every single one of us. We choose whether we accept it or reject it. So let me close in prayer. I want to pray for us who are believers in Christ, who've accepted that. That God may just encourage you, just the great love of God, that his beneficence and his benevolence is continually shining upon us, and that we're supposed to speak those truths to people. But if you're here and you've not accepted that, I'm going to give you opportunity for that today. So let me pray. Father in heaven, for us in this room, those who are watching online, for us who have received that gift, who have been grateful, Father, may that gratefulness become something that we're telling people about. When we're forgiven so much, how can we keep that quiet? Because you, you take no pleasure in judging the wicked. That's, that's not what you want. You want people to, to come to the understanding of who you are. And if we don't warn them, how are they going to hear? How are they going to know? And may you ignite that in us, Lord, that we need to tell our friends and family, share with them the truth of your love. But for those here or those watching who don't know you, who have never accepted the gift. I say to you that God is offering that as he always does. And it's not a prayer that saves you. It's an attitude of your heart that you're choosing to make a decision today to accept that which he's given to you. And that's forgiveness of sins. There's going to be a prayer up on the screen. Uh, you can see this at home. And I want us to all pray this together. If this is you praying this for the first time, again, it's not the words. It's the attitude that you have with the words toward God himself. Let's say this together. Father, you want to be truly known. You sent your son Jesus in order that I can know you. Thank you that you are so patient with me. Thank you for waiting for me to receive you into my life. Today I repent of my sin. I turn to you as the only source of my salvation. I receive as a gift your promise of salvation. Today I pledge to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Father in heaven, if anyone prayed that, I know heaven is rejoicing right now. Father, may you fill them with your spirit. 
May we be able to guide them in this truth. And we just give you thanks for you are such a good and loving God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Thank you.